Our world is lost in unnecessary fear and hurt. Our systems seem scientifically engineered to make you small, powerless, and always waiting for the next great leader who will fix the problems around us. Worse, we're witnessing neighbor versus neighbor while warfare breaks out around our family tables. But you have access to a spirit, a strength that enlarges and empowers you. Even better, you don't need to wait for the next big movement. You can heal the world. It's time for governance by Grace. Welcome to Grace Archie with Jim Babka. Jim, remember episode four? Oh, we were oh so young back then. Yeah, I was outdoors at a coffee shop or something. But yeah, with the, the hat on, with the hat, and and Dobbs had just come down, and we had to we had to ring in. It was yes. really important for us to ring in on that uh, abortion decision by the u.s supreme court uh, pro, yeah pro we'll life that, decision. yeah we'll put that show in the in the notes right yeah. so people can go back and refer to it in fact we've uploaded it to the zap youtube page uh now uh for people to see and it was you were prophetic my friend you, you were prophetic on that <laughs> although you know uh, and you were like on the beach <laughs> oh yeah i was like <laughs> so uh, it's a nice background yeah going it was there. a great background the trees so we're going to get into that but the idea here is not to say, hey, see, I told you so, like a lot of... Oh, why not? Why not? I mean, but but we can say that with grace, right? <laughs> yes, I'll, I'll try. <laughs> we can say that with grace. It's like, rather than picking on people, we're going to say, hey, this is um, this is important. And you can't dodge it. If you're Republican, bless your heart. If you're Republican, you can't dodge this. You've got you've to take a stand that's more than just, well, I, because this is what I want. You know, yeah. you've got to have a, a reasonable and even graceful position for those who don't share your beliefs because at the end of the day this is about beliefs and the power of the state to legislate and enforce them i did go back and listen to the show in preparation here i felt like since we'd already addressed this issue in the past we should be aware of what we said and i was moved uh because one of the things that I think I routinely have done over the last 20 years is say, this is going to happen and here's why. Now, I, I don't I, I don't say it like in the hard, like, you know, by this time at this amount with this exact way with these actors, I'm describing a trend that I think I'm seeing. Yeah. And it's in a, in a somewhat prophetic fashion. And then it, it happens and you go back and you watch I challenge people to go back and check out episode four of uh Grace Arky, and you'll see that we said it like the stuff. In fact, we're going to, I think we should cover it. I think actually we should talk about what we said uh, in terms of where we're at now, but I'm, you can double check. I mean, the other thing and see if I'm exaggerating here, I'm not, this is not being done to boast. I think if you have good principles, if you have sound heuristics and you have, uh, a heart for grace, then those things are going to lead you to a place that is morally and intellectually consistent that manifests itself in reality. Yeah, and gets above the fray. Gets above the fray, uh, which, by the way, neither one of these sides really want to do. And I, I think that's something we have to hit on. Um, yeah, so but we sat down. Defend, you know, either it's hard to defend either side, and that's necessary. We need to have that conversation. Definitely, definitely. So uh, let's let's go through. I I I observed 
four things I feel, uh, three in particular we'll start with, four things that we did in that episode. Uh, the first was that we we said that pro-lifers were going to overplay their hand. That's kind of understandable. You know, they were very enthusiastic to have their way after 50 years. Right, right. So in Florida, for example, they said six weeks. Any, any, uh, there has been an, a tendency in these debates for them to recognize that most people are opposed to late-term abortions. The, the majority of Americans are opposed to late-term abortions. But they are opposed to the early ones. So they've used the late-term abortion argument as a moral case against this. And morally speaking, in the public square, if you if the game is to win majority support to your side, they've won that. And then having secured that, they leapt to, we're going to start to, we're going to go much further. We're going to go as far as we can possibly go. Right. Well, it didn't Florida, uh, they started with six, then somebody said 15, and that was overturned. So it's now back to six. Yeah, I think it is. And then, but the the case that's the most in the news as we're sitting here now is the Texas case. Yes, Kate Cox. Okay, so here's a 31-year-old mother. Maybe later we'll get into the condition that the the uh, infant in her womb is experiencing. Uh, but the condition is life-threatening, uncomfortable and painful, uh, uh, clearly diminished quality of life and uh, threatens potentially the mother's future fertility. They have uh, children and they would like to potentially have children yet again. Uh, they were ostensibly, until they got this news recently, quite excited uh, about the coming addition to their family and then made a decision that they need to get an abortion. Now in Texas, the way the law is structured, there are a limited number of exceptions where abortion is permitted uh, and you have to apply uh, to maybe get an, a, an exemption that doesn't necessarily directly, f I mean, 100% fit these exceptions. They very much chilled the ability to get an abortion there. Yeah, the, the exceptions are very narrow at this point. And the penalty falls on the doctor. And one of them is not, uh, if, the, if the condition has to do with the health of either mother or child, that's not sufficient. It actually has to be uh, a threat to the life of the mother, an overt, clear threat to the life of the mother. And so this was in a gray area where they decided to test this by going to court. They initially won, and then the Texas Supreme Court overruled. And I don't want to, people are going to start throwing stones at the Texas Supreme Court. That's not where the stones should be thrown. This was a law that was passed. And the job of courts is not to say, well, you know, we get to legislate too. No, they have to rule on what the law is and whether or not this actually created a material exception. And they decided no. This does not create a, an exception. So now, as we've discussed on the in the past on this program, the bounty comes into, into play. So now Kate Cox decides that she has to leave the state. And the fact that she has to, she ends up, this ends up being publicized. So she has now confessed essentially to what is potentially a crime under Texas state law. And someone could come along and collect a bounty on turning her in for having committed this crime. Yeah. And, uh, okay. If it's legal in another state, should it, should, are you, a, are you a property or possession of the state in which you live? 
Like if you live in California, I live in Ohio, are we owned by that state? Like if we leave that state and go to another state's laws, shouldn't we be able to live under those laws instead? Are we property or chattel of the state such that when we leave, we have to check in and get approval from our home state for the various actions and behaviors we're going to do? Like, uh, okay, let's say you're in a state that's um, very pro-gun and you go to a state that's very anti-gun. Let's say we, I take a trip to New York. Okay, I, I know already in advance I cannot take my gun with me. Right. So I go and I have to live under the state's laws there. But let's reverse it. Now a New Yorker wants to come visit Ohio and they want to bring a gun. They want to shoot a gun while they're here. They maybe even, you know, you know, do some some of that. So we're in a car driving gun driving with guns. We're doing something that would be clearly illegal in New York, but it's legal in Ohio. But I've got a New Yorker with me. Should is the New Yorker under New York laws at that moment? Can you imagine passports going across state lines? Yeah. I mean, this is this is the whole <laughs> the whole well, there's two things that were going on really at the start of the, the republic, but one of them was that they wanted to make sure that there wasn't this kind of competition between states Absolutely. where states would be able to regulate or put up boundaries between each other. Yeah. So this was this is unacceptable. Uh period. It's just completely a violation of the of the compact that we have set up with our constitution. And, you know, a lot of conservatives pretend that they're constitutionalists. And I'm sorry, this is transparently not. And, and you know, Gavin Newsom immediately picked up on this, said, OK, we could do the same thing with guns. We can set up a bounty system with guns. Our governor, man. So Political they should not have they should not have done this, period, full stop, regardless of what they thought about the life issue. It's yeah. not. Okay, now let's go one step further. Okay, let's say that you assume that abortion is an act of murder. If you leave the state and you murder a human being in another state, which state tries you? So in the judgment of the state to which Kate went, she has not revealed what state that is. They have not judged this to be a crime. Texas did. Texas doesn't get to set the rules for the other state. They don't get to set up a criminal apparatus for the other state. And well, they knew this, which is why they devised this Rube Goldberg device of a bounty system. And we, we predicted this, by the way, that the pro-lifers would overplay their hand. And what we're seeing in Texas is one example of that. So we actually gave them very, very specific advice. We did. Um, one of the things we discussed was uh, what I'm calling the 60% rule. So I want to take the entire population. I want to divide it into thirds for a moment. In one third, and I, they're doing this just simply to keep the numbers nice and round, but it's not far off from the from the actual statistical evidence we have. In on, on one end of that, the, the 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 third all the way to the right. We have people who believe abortion is wrong under any circumstance, save the uh, saving the life of a mother. Yep. Or maybe they have one or two very tiny exceptions similar to that, like the Texas law works. That's the 30%. Okay. Then on the other end of the 30%, we have people who believe that abortion should be legal right up to the moment of delivery. If it, the abortion could be done while the mother is in labor. Okay. 
So we have these two extreme ends that comp that that compose 30% on on the right and 30% on the left on our little slider here. But now we've got a 30% in the middle. This is where the action is. The 30% in the middle believe that they're, they're on balance, I believe, in the camp that believes in, in the mantra, the Clinton mantra, the Bill Clinton mantra, safe, legal, and rare. And I want to put the emphasis on the rare part because that's where the dispute's at. So right. they believe that abortion is, let's call it a necessary evil. It's not a good thing, but you still might need it. And so uh, they don't want to necessarily interfere to that degree. But this is interesting. You could do the same thing. You could lay out almost on a trimester basis when abortion is or isn't legal uh, amongst this crowd. Because in the left third, they're going to go all the way to the ninth month of the pregnancy. In the right third, they're going to say from the moment of conception, and then there's some viability type arguments and other types of exceptions, including no abortion in the final trimester, that that is the belief system of the middle third. Yeah, that middle 30%. Okay, so now why do I call it the 60% rule? Because if you add the third that are pro-life to the third that say that abortion should not occur after a certain point, and these exceptions were there, you have a national constituency for a pro-life position. However, the pro-lifers have completely overplayed their hand, and so a 60% coalition has emerged on the left, where they're like, well, wait a minute, we're not going for all that, so we are going to side with the people who are going to keep it available. And we have evidence, right? The Ohio, what was it, uh, Proposition 1 that passed? Yes, uh, this, is, this is a red, I, Ohio is a red state. It used to be a toss-up state. Uh, over the last 25 years, 30 years, it has moved more and more red. It is now solidly red. All of the statewide offices, the control of the Supreme Court, I think all but one seat, don't quote me on that, but I think it's all but one seat, all the statewide offices, both houses of the state legislature, the majority of the congressional delegation, uh, half of the Senate delegation and every single presidential election since the year, uh, uh, with the exception of Obama, like the Ohio used to pick the winner. So the last time this state was a toss up was 2012. It has not been a battleground state since 2016. It was treated as one because it had been one in 2012, but in 2020, it no longer was. Everybody understood that in 2024, it's now a red state. And it used to be this Ohio goes, so goes the nation. That 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 got broken in 2020 because it went Trump and the nation went the other direction. So it's now understood this is a red state. And I, I'm saying all this to say this should have been a slam dunk that they would not that what was voted on here was a constitutional amendment. Yep. Protecting abortion all the way up to the beginning and providing affirmative government assistance and service to abortion providers and abortion people who are seeking abortions. I mean, it went, we did not have anything like this. We had a, a, a technically the environment on abortion from a pro-life perspective was better pre-Dobbs than it is as I'm sitting here talking to you today. 
That's their success here at this. And why are these things on a statewide ballot, mind you? So I want to go back in time and say in, in 2004, there was an active uh, group. It was called the Arlington Group. That was a conspiracy, okay? The Arlington Group conspiracy was that a group of Christian right leaders had figured out that they could put these marriage amendments on the ballot. Marriage is only between one man and one woman. Uh, and they were using this as a get-out-the-vote tool for the George W. Bush re-election campaign. They were trying to make sure that their base got out to vote. And in 2024, there are states that are battleground states, two of them in particular, where it is expected there will be a statewide ballot initiative with abortion on the ballot that could push the 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 if 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 we have any precedent from all of these different races, not just Ohio, around the country that have already occurred, could push this uh, the drive up the turnout on on the left on this issue, harming the Republicans' outcome. So, you know, this is one of these cases where, and I I said this even before the Dobbs decision came down, and we we said it during the course of of the show, although maybe not in exactly these words. This is a case where the dog caught the car. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. And for the Republicans, and I'm speaking strictly politically right now, for the Republicans, you know, it's a be careful what you wish for moment. They got it. And now it may cost them electorally in a number of other, uh, on a number of other issues because this is the position that they've taken. But I want to emphasize here, I don't want to miss the point that we were trying to get across, which was, they overplayed their hand. We actually gave them a prescription for what needed to be done. We talked about crisis pregnancy centers. We talked about ramping up in a major, major way the, um, the compassionate methods of communication. Yeah, and we encourage, we encourage conservatives to lead those methods. Like over, over the political over the political over the political now yep. a lot of them are going to say jim you're weak and ineffectual and we had to go political this was now our opportunity this is the first time we've been able to do this in 50 years we had to uh, take full advantage of the opportunity presented to us and we had to pass laws but as i've already covered they probably could have gotten national consensus if they'd made smaller asks and then turned around and said uh, uh, we're going to do everything we can to go into a national persuasion campaign on these other issues. Well, the time in our in history isn't right for that because any conflict helps you uh, theoretically uh, helps you win votes. We, by the way, that was the second thing we said. You're exactly right. We said that both sides were going to avoid grace-based solutions and they were going to prefer political conflict. Because the left sees that, holy cow, oh, oh, oh this kid's yes. off the vote. Oh, right? Ah, yep. we're going to win. We're going to win. That's what they see in this. They saw opportunity. And, and, and so both sides have played this politically. And you can expect the left to continue to play this politically because it's working for them. And the right can't figure out how to keep their coalition together if they don't keep political. And they're seeing that uh, red states like yours, like Ohio, are going constitutional on this. They're making it a constitutional guarantee, state constitutional guarantee. Yeah. 
So we said three things. We said pro-lifers are going to overplay their hand. Both sides would avoid grace-based solutions and prefer political conflict. And Republicans would pay a big political price. And all three of those things have, have happened. But it, we it, also... Go ahead. I was going to say, with regard to Republicans, so it is energizing the base that no less than Donald Trump has promised to, you know, write this thing into the law in some way as one of his first acts. So there's still a hook for Republicans. Yeah, he's going to be careful. You watch. He's not going to really side. In fact, he's probably going to take some side swipes at the pro-life position. He's going to be, I, I don't know exactly how he's going to do this yet. I don't know how he's going to thread this needle, but you watch. He is not a Christian. He's not part of the Christian right. The Christian right is into him more than he's into them. And he's going to do stuff that is safe to do that gets him populist support. But abortion is not a populist issue. In fact, abortion is the one intellectual lights out debate we have in this country. And I explained in the previous episode, Downsize DC and me in a public persona, I had never sat in a chair where we put something out on Downsize DC, or we put something out on the Zero Aggression Project. We never, ever put anything out about abortion until the day the Dobbs decision came down when we sat down and we recorded episode four of this brand new podcast, then brand new podcast. That was the first time that I'd ever, ever put anything out in our newsletters where we had s s taken a position on abortion, because there is no discussion about this. This is a very difficult issue to discuss. Yes. But... Part of the problem, as we described in the previous episode, was how sclerotic everybody had become <laughs> because there was it was settled. This was a settled piece of law. Like you Republicans could go out and spout platitudes because nothing was going to change. And Democrats could spout their platitudes because nothing was going to change. And everybody could use things that only appealed to their base. They could talk right past each other. And what I, I, I have good news to report. I have good news to report. Real discussion and debate has occurred. And that is preferential culturally to what we had before, because yes. now we're having to learn how to talk to one another. We're going to have to persuade one another. True. And as each side, you know, I, as each side goes through this politically, one more than the other, the losers are going to have to figure out how to be more persuasive and how, and they're going to be forced to go back to more compassionate means. That's the if only they want to keep, that's the only way that they can change the question. That is really oh. the only way. So you the and bad I are news is, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, say it. Say it. So I was going to say we're we're on different sides of this issue. Just so everybody knows, um, I'm more on the pro-choice side. Jim's more on the pro-life side. However, when the Supreme Court decided, hey, we're going to kick this back to the states. This is not a federal issue. Um, I think we both agree that that thing that they did started this conversation in earnest in a better way than it has been had. I don't know for sixty years. Yes, and and uh, for whatever it's worth, my position on this uh, has been uh, has highly nuanced, and it involves a belief that this never should have been a federal question in the first place. I agreed. Still should not be a federal question. Agreed. And that includes whether I, I do not want to see a federal abortion uh, act that would ban it. I, I just, I, I just, this should not be federal. This should yeah. be left to the states because it's a cultural question. So, you know, let's go back to our 60% solution. What was the importance yes. of that? Just for a moment. I want to talk about this maybe more on a highfalutin philosophical level. 
there are things that are part of the common law. There are things that are part of, like, I would even call natural law. And one way, there may be other ways, but one way, the way I want to focus on today, that we know that they are in that category, is everyone agrees. So if we say the R word for a form of sexual assault done against a woman, um, we have to be careful of Al Gore's rhythm here. If we say uh, kidnapping, if we say extortion, if we say robbery, vandalism, or murder, or attempted murder, we all agree. You could put 12 people in a box, have them look at the facts, and when they come out, they can render a judgment that this person's guilty of that, and we can settle that dispute with a jury. But on other questions, like, I don't know, how many fatty foods you consume, whether or not you use drugs, uh, the mileage your car gets, or how much water flushes down your toilet, et cetera, et cetera. There are a whole host of other things that are not moral questions to us. They are not so obviously, okay, so we only turn to the state under two conditions. And, and we shouldn't uh, anyway, but let's say it exists. Assuming it exists, there's only two legitimate things for it to say. One is that uh, cr a crime has been committed. We can actually identify the victim. And two, we can all agree that the thing that's being described is exactly a crime. Yes. So there, it is incumbent, therefore, on the people who believe that abortion is a crime to make their case in a compelling fashion so that we reach something approximating unanimity on the question. Now, I realize that's a tall order, and I'm sorry, but that's what's required if you want to use this force to do it. This, you know, winning elections by one or two votes and then pretending like you have all the power is what leads to a lot of the cultural discord that we have. And it also means that if we follow your principle, we follow it on everything. And we do, which is why when we first started talking, I immediately go to guns because there is an overlap, ironically, yes. between people who are pro-gun and anti-abortion and people who are anti-gun and pro-abortion. And I'm talking to both houses right now in the anti-camp, knock it off, stop. So I come at this and say, I don't want a federal law, and um, I I don't want to go to the age of conception, and I don't really think that the state, if the state runs a war on abortion, pretty soon men will be getting pregnant. Because prohibition doesn't work. It doesn't work. We We ban drugs, and then we have people in prison who do drugs in prison. How, if 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 it just boggles the mind that you people can't see this, to me anyway, this obvious thing, I don't want a war on abortion. Uh, a war on illiteracy caused illiteracy to rise. A war on crime causes crime. I mean, every time the government wages war, they increase the thing that they say they're not going to increase. We get exactly the opposite result. I don't want a war on abortion. What well, I, I want is more and more people to make a choice for life. And I believe that the way that we get there is that more and more people are pulling together in community, looking out for one another and trying to create the right opportunities. And in the previous episode, we actually discussed the issue of adoption. We, issue, we talked about uh, uh, compensating women for the time and, 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 and effort uh, 
that is involved in a pregnancy. Sure. For these surgeons, are, yes. These are methods by which you could actually increase dramatically so the number of people who choose life over abortion. And they're legitimate to me. And it fits into this rare case. So when we talk about our thirds, I guess you would say I'm, you know, maybe I'm pro-life, but I'm I'm in that middle third, right? Yeah. I, I, I recognize most people are. Yes. Generally yes. speaking. Okay. So, so are, is society ready for this conversation? Uh, th this is something that continues to bother me because remember the remember the episode we did. Is everybody stupid? I mean, <laughs> dealing with abortion is a is a well, it's a philosophical issue, mm -hmm. but it's one where you simply can't stand on your beliefs. You have to have something more than that to go on because you're not going to force everybody to believe what you believe. No, no, your arguments, arguments have to be. Your episode. arguments have to be so good that they're compelling to people who disagree with you. Even or, if they don't come your way, at least they go, whoa. At least a, they go, whoa, right. And, and natural rights, uh, which we've mentioned here many times, uh, is is a is a, a barometer here for how this works. Because you're not going to get 100 people to all agree, you know, it's going to be third, 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 right? Yeah. But you can make, if you're, if pro-life is the thing, you can make a compelling argument based on natural rights and uh, we can help you do that. If you need any help, just give us give us a shout. And if you're pro-life, um, you deserve that opportunity, people. It's not just about standing around and saying everybody else is wrong. You really do need to be able to articulate this in a way that other people can understand it when they want to, rather than just yeah. bashing the rest of us around who are, who are pro-choice like a bunch of whack-a-moles. And vice versa. And vice versa. Yeah. I, I, I'm aware of people who, having heard that I have a pro-life lean to me, will automatically write me off. Right, exactly, right? They Can't didn't hear it. a single thing. In fact, maybe the show already clicked off for them. Yep. They didn't even listen to what I said after that. When As soon as yep. you announce that, they're gone. So they're gone. It, it goes both ways, and, it's, it, and, we, and it, shouldn't. it shouldn't. We should have more grace for one another. Okay, so uh, you know, the good news is that the real discussion and debate has, got, has begun, but the, there's bad news, and that is that it's not been gracious along the two lines that we described in episode four. And those two lines were this. Number one, when does life begin? And number two, how do we assist and even accommodate women in difficult circumstances? Let me repeat those. When does life begin? And how do we assist and even accommodate women in difficult circumstances? You notice, Bill, I just chose the pro-life and the pro-choice arguments. And I'm saying to you that if you're pro-life, you need to be, know how to address when we, how do we assist and accommodate women in difficult circumstances. And yep. if you're pro-choice, you need to talk, you need to be able to have a much better answer for when does life begin. And you have to have the ability to go talk to the other side about that in persuasive ways. Now, if, if you're truly pro-choice, then what I believe you should want is women assisted and accommodated in difficult circumstances. And the pro-life right. movement had an opportunity here that they have not fully seized. Now, With Kickbox in Texas, you mean? Okay, yeah, well, and, and, and everywhere else, because it's been yeah. political that they've gone to instead of compassionate. So let's take the crisis pregnancy example again and go back to that. If this was the new emphasis of this movement, I am unaware of it, and I follow a lot of stuff, and I even have some abortion stuff that comes into my email inbox. 
And I've been watching what they've been doing ever since Dobbs has happened. So if this is what they were emphasizing, if they were like, you know what, now's a real opportunity for us to get this message out. Now's a real opportunity for us to raise money and do things in these areas. I think I would have known. But it's not what they chose to emphasize. So the 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 criticism we're, we're leveling at them, as far as I'm concerned, is, is completely warranted. Those are the types of discussions that people should have. Now, I'm going to, can we wade into some really deep and difficult waters here for a second? Oh, we have to. We're going to show this by example, what, what, what the heavy lifting looks like. All right. Media Matters on the left has collected a variety of quotes that have been issued by pro-life spokespeople about the uh, Kate Cox case in Texas. And uh, the head, the leader of an anti-abortion group called Students for Life said Cox's motivations uh, for seeking, uh, she was talking about her motivations for seeking an abortion and described her thinking. And we've talked about this before. It's dangerous to try to get in someone's head and then project what you, this almost always is a straw man exercise. I haven't even read the quote out loud. I'm not, I don't, in fact, I forgot what it was, but I'm going to predict to you that it's going to be a straw man. Sure. Straw man sell. I don't have to watch my child die in front of me so I'm going to pay someone to kill her now. Uh, Kate Cox didn't think that. That's a straw man. Um, it hurts just to hear that. Abby Johnson, who's an anti-abortion activist, she says, uh, um, a child is worthy of life even when its biological parents don't want it. I don't think yep. that was what that I don't think that describes Kate Cox's values or beliefs either. I, haven't we gotten past the uh, the argument that says that abortion is um, is family planning? I'm trying to think of a euphemism that doesn't trip the triggers here. So, yeah, like, you have sex with anybody you want, you can always get an abortion. Aren't we beyond that yet? Uh, sound and, like it. I'm that close. By the way, I you know if that was the issue, I think most Americans would have sided. But this is the left is doing uh, the pro-abortion side is doing the uh, pro-choice side. I want to be accurate here is doing a very good job of showing the extremism of the pro-life side. But with this, I mean, they're playing on the heartstrings with Kate Cox's story, and it's not unfair because here's Kate Cox, and she's not alone yep. in finding herself in this position. There's an estimate that there will be 20,000 women in a similar position over the course of every year. We'll link it all in. You can. Yeah, we could put this Media Matters thing in so people can see it. Yeah. Now, and the coverage of the media by this, because now I'm going to switch sides, has not been scientifically accurate. And I'm not even sure it's been spiritually accurate. And I'm going to relate a very personal example. But before I do that, there actually is a support organization for, for the disorder that this unborn infant had, because it has since been aborted. Uh, it was trisomy 18. There are other types of trisomy. And I hope I'm pronouncing that word correctly, because I, you know, I was virtually this old when I learned of it. Um, there are claims that have been made, and they're very easy to find. If you All you got to do is a Google search, and bam, they're the first things that come up. You'll be told that it's a very painful disease, that the child's life has less, uh, less than two weeks to live, 
Uh, there's this, this physical clenching that they do with their hands. Uh, their, their body's kind of tightened up. Uh, their nipples are tend to be, and eyes tend to be spread out. Um, uh, that there's heart related, uh, matters that occur here and it's extremely uncomfortable. Well, this there is soft SOFT is a support organization for trisomy and related disorders issued a press release on December 14th because of the way that the national media was portraying this case. And in the interest of compassion, we are going to link to that in the show notes as well for you to read. Um, uh, but they say that this is not the case and, the, and that there are people who are uh, who find healing and they've made significant progress on uh, the heart-related aspects of this with surgeries that can be done and interventions uh, that can actually lead to even to some uh, uh, fairly remarkable quality of life in the cases of trisomy patients. And when someone has a child in their family who is severely disabled, it is... Uh, in those families often considered something of a blessing. Uh, doesn't mean it's easy. It's, it's extremely difficult. Doesn't mean it's not emotionally and financially painful. It usually is both things, but they report a sense of an expansive sense of love and hope and, and even peace about having someone in their life who so clearly has their need and so clearly um, I don't know, just kind of illustrates some things to them about how the world and the universe works. And, and they just, they just have this spiritual experience because of it and a deep love and connection to the human being for which they're caring. Uh, one case is a mother by the name of Lavender who says every child with trisomy 18 makes the world a better place. I think I understand that in terms of the child's effect on the parents. All of us are, who are listening to this that have, have had kids know how much children change us. Mm -hmm. And that continues throughout our lives. Uh, my own mother was still changing and evolving as she was passing. She was evolving. And uh, I imagine that it comes much quicker and maybe more poignantly for children in families where um, they have to deal with autism at one level of a spectrum or another. Mm -hmm. And certainly with trisomy. And I mean, I can think of other things where severely disabled kids are loved just unconditionally within their families. Uh, we've all seen those photos uh, back when polio was a thing. Yes. Right. And the and, love and that so, went into, oh, it's, it's so Lavender's child happens to be seven years old. So she wants to put she wants to uh, put aside the claim that it is an immediate infant death sentence. Yes, and you and, mentioned someone who's like in their forties, right, or thirties. Uh, apparently, there is a, a patient with trisomy walking around who is forty years old. Okay. Um, no one's saying that this is desirable. That's that's not what's being said, and. <laughs> So I actually, I want to say, share two things. I have, and I'm going to make sure that this friend is aware that I've, I've discussed this today. Uh, I have had the privilege of meeting a couple who have a child who is, I believe, now 19 that wasn't supposed to make it past her seventh birthday, um, who is bedridden and uh, cannot talk, 
but can communicate. And they're constantly having to deal with hospitalizations and uh, near-death situations uh, throughout their life. And they've done everything they can to keep their child alive and comfortable. Uh, she requires near 24-hour care. Uh, it ha- there's a team that has to help with this. And her heart is huge. And she goes through a lot of uh, pain, and I'm routinely praying for her. And I admire her and her husband, which is how I met. I met through her husband. I admire these people for what they for what they stand for and for how they've lived their lives and for the love that is so evident. A love that that is more, you know, much more. They, they wouldn't say it this way, but it's from the outside. It looks like they're giving a lot. They believe that they've received back from, from this person who can't function in the way that you and I are able to and never will. And I'm moved by that. But I also kind of can't help thinking that not everybody is ready to do that or could do that. And I think this is why most Americans are not ready to say they want this, that they would want to force Kate Cox. And I would say that the polling would probably exceed 80% of Americans would not want to force Kate Cox to carry this child to term. And I understand both sides. This is this is empathy, which is the predecessor to grace. And so I I, I hear lavender, but I want to share one more personal story. And I'm going to do my level best not to get emotional. My uh, I have a niece who is gorgeous, intelligent, successful. She's 30 years of old of age. She's an amazing, amazing human being. And her parents were told something very similar to the diagnosis that Kate Cox was told. I was dating my wife at the time. Uh, we were engaged, actually. And a family meeting was called. Now we were dating. We weren't engaged yet. A family meeting was called. This was right, the, she was born right before we were engaged. And, uh, the doctors, several doctors had advised abortion. And the entire Sue's entire family sat down and had a meeting and said, here's the circumstances. Are we in or out? And they all said, we're in. We're going to do whatever it takes to love this child. And we're going to play the cards we're dealt. Whew. I... The world is less without this young lady in the world. And everything turned out fine, thank God. She's amazing. So I think we have to learn how to appreciate, maybe even honor in a much better way. And this is part of why I'm pro-life is because of this story. Those people like the friend I just referenced, the couple I just referenced, and, and, and like my wife's family, who will do the right thing and are willing to pay the price to bring life into the world. And we should be creating an atmosphere that's more welcoming and supportive and assisting of bringing life in the world instead of trying to impose laws to force people to do things that they wouldn't, aren't, or aren't prepared to do. And we would probably then improve or make rare uh, abortion 
I'm sorry. I, 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 I'm, I'm. No apology I, necessary. I love this girl. She's amazing. When you said do the right thing, you open the door to even more grace because all of us have a different understanding of what the right thing might be at any given moment. And as human beings, it's incumbent on all of us to offer some grace to people who are going to choose something different than we might choose. All right. So let me give two pieces of advice, maybe one of which we can call a grace point, okay? And we'll close with this. First, listen, ask questions, and steal man the opposing view, as opposed to shouting, accusing, and demonizing. Oh, man, Jim, you don't want to have any more fun? <laughs> <laughs> That's the great point. Again. I, say it again. Listen, right Listen. ask questions, ask steal questions. man, instead man. of shout, accuse, and demonize. Amen. And second, it is a fact, regardless of what anybody wants to say, that the left side controls the media. And they do a better job of telling stories. The GOP gang, the people who have affiliated on the right on this issue, have all moved on to other unwinnable culture war issues. And they've, they're chosen in part because they're unwinnable. Uh, they've moved on from abortion because that one's won and that can't serve their interests anymore. So they're on to other things that they're never going to be able to pull off either. Uh, but they keep you agitated and excited and get you to come out and vote and get you all lathered. That's why they do it. They're trying to keep you stirred up. Let's not kid ourselves here. They're not actually arguing for their position in a way that is going to reach out to the other side. And I would say that actions tend to speak louder than words. There are policy prescriptions that do not involve coercive force. There are compassionate means that can be carried out and emphasized. And, and to the degree that there's a political solution here, it's nowhere near where either side is presently putting it. 